Welcome to Rebecca Sounds Reveille. I am super honored, jazzed and excited today because I am, oh my gosh, so honored to have the guest that I do today. He has been in my house, my home for many, many years, and I'm currently following him on some shows that I tend to watch, and they are, well, shows from way back when and so if you happen to be one of those that like to watch shows that really have the household value and leave things to the imagination well then you are a lot like me because there's some iconic films there's some iconic shows that well they're the staplehood of our home and the film and entertainment industry. So with me today, I have guest Lee Paul, who's been in a tremendous amount of shows. He has 53 credits to his name. He's been in uh, the film industry and entertainment for well over 25 years. He has, oh my gosh, over 30 commercials, um, over 70 on air, yes, so, well, 75 on air uh, shows. Let me give you some of the ideas of going back to some shows that may have been in your home and that you too may have followed. Shows like Wonder Woman, Happy Days, Matlock. Oh yeah. Um, but some of the ones that I'm following are things like Mannix, Canon. Yes. I like to watch some of those way back when, and it's a face you do not want to forget, but many of you who like to watch movies. And do you remember Kenny Rogers, The Gambler? Or how about The Sting? Well, without any further ado, let's bring today my guest, Lee Paul. Welcome to the show. It's nice to be here. Thank you. I am, like I said, I'm so excited and jazzed because I have just had you in my home for an eternity, what seems like, and you are a staple. You are an ingredient to shows. You see some, you see some celebrities that become famous, you might see them in one show, but you are in just so many, you are an ingredient of what shows are all about. And you will see you time and time again. And I really love that about what you have done with all of your um, your spots, your shows, your, I, like I said, you're a staple. And this is really nice because familiar, familiarity really makes things feel like home. And that's what you have done. So tell me about how you got started. I know that I want to, to share with the audience that you're an Air Force veteran and you started in film in a little bit different way than some other people have. So can you share with the audience a little bit about that? Well, you know, I came from New York and I'm from Brooklyn. I'm from New York. So the, the point is I that- I love it. <laughs> The point is that growing up in New York, uh, in a middle-class neighborhood, in a uh, low-income family, I never dreamt about doing anything but trying to survive, get ahead. Yeah. We all have to survive, and we all have the struggles, and today we, the middle class is struggling greatly. But 
I wound, I wound up going to school to Brooklyn Tech. And Brooklyn Tech was a special school in New York, a public school. <laughs> anyway, you had to take a test to get into these schools, Bronx High School of Science, Erasmus, and Brooklyn Tech. Now, Brooklyn Tech was so advanced that the first year at college, and I, I, got, a, I got a scholarship to go to Marietta College in Marietta, Ohio. Mm. The first year, I had already done all the, the chemistry stuff already in high school, and I was bored to tears because I was always in the lab. And I found out that the petroleum engineering department actually went out on field trips, could get out of the lab and get out of the school and get out into the open. And I said, well, maybe I'll, I'll transfer to the petroleum department. And I did that. And uh, it, was, it was better. Now, while I'm in the petroleum department, uh, I noticed, you know, I'm a young man, I'm 16. I graduated at 20 because, again, I skipped classes while uh, because of my Brooklyn Tech background. Uh, I wound up with a lot of free time. Actually, I took two degrees, one in petroleum engineering and one in radio speech and drama. The reason <laughs> I took the, re the higher your point score, the more classes they'd let you take. I'm kind of like a wunderkind that slowly <laughs> into the intellectual morass. But the point is that at that time, I was a bright young boy, and uh, there were more people on my block in Brooklyn than there were in the whole school. So it, it, to me, it wasn't a big thing. And I was running around, and I was saw some very attractive women, and I was chasing them <laughs> as a freshman, and I wound up chasing this girl into the drama department. Now, I know nothing about drama, nothing. But I found out that she was always in rehearsals and always doing so. I could never talk to her. I could never get close to her. So I found out she was doing uh, a light operetta by Minotti called The Medium. Very strange, very strange play. But I went up to the little guy who was the... Uh, director and vocal coach of the school. And I'm 6'6", six, six, and he is five foot three. Oh and my. And I, I said, I'm gonna be in your play. Because I wanted to get close to this girl. Sure, sure. So he said, oh, okay, okay, okay. So he taught me enough vocal uh, training to do the one line. And believe me, at my age, I can't remember yesterday. A lot of your folks that are older, sometimes we have trouble. Where's the keys? Where's this? I remember the line from 7,500 years ago. And it went like this. I think I can do it still. There, there, don't cry. You know that he's happier now than if he had lived. Now, see, we were, we were going to this medium to try to reach our dead son. Not, not the brightest, okay. the, the most cheerful thing. Anyway... I get in the show, and I'm enjoying it, and I'm enjoying all the camaraderie and everybody running around in the new backstage and all that good stuff. And one day, uh, on one of the uh, performances, the girl who I was going to be chasing gets in my spotlight. Uh-oh. 
kind of pushed her out of the way. And as I pushed her out of the way, out went the girl and in went show business. I love it. Because that's how I got started. I love it. What a story. And so that just took you on this journey that has led to so many opportunities for you. And what an incredible journey it has been. Do you have any favorite shows that you've done or parts? Of course. Uh, you know, as a bad guy, big guys are bad guys. Okay. And bad guys die. I've died in the first five seconds, every minute in between to the last five seconds of the show, in every way possible. And one of my goals was try, when I was interviewed, uh, we were doing a four hour show called Condominium in Florida. And that's, that brings another story. I don't know how many stories you wanna hear, but. <laughs> But one of the stories is that my father was a, a pitch man. He, my father gave me pig eyes, he gave me a double chin, and he gave me a gift of gab. And uh -huh. the gift of gab is what kept me alive. Now, he sold in the 1920s a clock called the Kylock clock. It was the first electrified clock on the market. And okay. They would hang it up on the bank building, which is usually the biggest building in town. And it would flash the names of the advertisers, and then it would flash the time, and flash the advertiser, and there were 10 of them. And my father sold this clock up and down the Florida coast uh, in the 20s. And I love in, it. And in 1925, a hurricane came through and wiped out all the clocks on all the buildings and all the towns, oh, including, no. including Panama City Beach, Florida. Well, ironically, I'm in this movie called Condominium, which takes which we film in Panama City Beach, Florida. So it's like deja vu. 15 oh wow! And uh, that brought into the fact that I was in show business and it brings in my father, which I have to now tell you how that goes because these stories just connect one to another and maybe they're entertained. I hope the people listening and, and watching are entertained. But you mentioned The Sting. The Sting was probably the most significant film I did, certainly as a seven Academy Award winning best picture. It's in today's money, one of the top 10 grocers of all time. This new, the new uh, Endgame, Avengers Endgame, just made more money in one weekend than it made in 30 years. But that's okay. It made over a billion dollars in 30 years. Now, here's the ironic twist to that. The, so the sting was about a wire room, of, a way to dupe the betters in Chicago. And that's where it took place. And, uh, and, and in fact, many people that were in the sting, Dimitri Alas, remembers, I remember her saying she played uh, the one who actually tries to kill Redford. Uh, uh, she said it was the highlight of her career. She did lots and lots of work. The point is that my father had a tremendous penmanship. And okay. so what so what happened, he was hired to be a writer 
in one of these wire rooms in Chicago in the, in the 30s. And he would write the name of the horse and the odds and the track. On oh, the wow. So here I am again, 50 years later, doing the sting. And the premise is about a wire room. And it was astounding. Now, this ties in one more story, and then I'll let you talk. I promise. Yes, I just, it's just really interesting. Mm -hmm. here's, here's what happens. I wrote this book. You mentioned a book. I wrote a book called yes. Pitch, Pitch, and Get Rich. It's, it's called Success at the Tip of Your Tongue. And you can get it on Amazon. You, uh, you can read a chapter for free. And if you want to pop for $9, you can read the whole book. But in this book, I use the fact that this episode of my father's life and my life were so connected. There are no new stories to tell about life and living, but there are new ways to tell it. And that's what this book does. It uses show business, yes. show business stories to tell people, uh, give them an idea of how to improve their speaking, their vocabulary, their uh, ability to stand up and speak for themselves. Uh, stand on their own two feet. It says, bitch, pitch, and get rich because everybody bitches, it seems. But few people try to do anything about it. This that book says, if you bitch, you owe it to yourself to try to pitch a better idea. And even if your idea fails, you'll get involved with life and the riches will be in the involvement with life and sometimes in your pocketbook, but not necessarily. Now, I got to give you this last tag to that story. My father is in it's in uh, the wire room, and they, his name was Leon. And some guy says, hey, Leon, go get us some deli. Well, there was a delicatessen around the corner. So he goes down to the delicatessen. And when, while he's there, the place is raided. So he comes back. Are you still there? I'm here. Okay, no, I heard a beep. So it's raided. Now he comes back with the sandwiches, and there's a cop at the door. And he says, you work here? And my father says, oh, no, no, I'm from the deli around the corner. He said, well, this place has been raided. Get the hell out of here. He says, okay. He said, would you like a couple of Braunschweiger on Y? <laughs> and he leaves. He, he escaped. So that's the tie-in to show business, my book, The Sting, and now I'll let you ask another question. You know, Lee, that's pretty fascinating to think about. How and let me ask you too. Um, and and I don't mean to bring up something that you know can be very emotional, but um, did these things tie in after you had your father's passing or prior? Well, another thing about our family, and this may ring true to a lot of families, uh, we were very uh, uh, disjointed. Uh, we weren't very close. I left early on. I told you at 15, 16, okay. I was out of college. We never stayed very close. In fact, the only time, uh, another story, I, I guess, we, you know what? If you want to know what you look like when you get older, and I'm certainly that now, you have, <laughs> to, you have to look at your parents because you're going to look like them. I don't care how good looking you may be. If your father was not that good looking, you're going to wind up. Not that. <laughs> it's so true. And, and, that, and that's what happened, happened to me. The only time my father ever acknowledged the fact that he wanted to be, me to be 
uh, a sports guy. And that brings in another story. The point is that at 6'6 and athletic, I trained for the pentathlon while I was in a young man in New York. The only problem is I could broad jump, I could run, I could throw the discus and the javelin, but I couldn't high jump. I couldn't get my big butt off the ground. <laughs> and so that did not work out. But later on, when I was doing commercials, you mentioned 30 commercials. Yes, I did a lot of commercials. But here's how my father got back to me. If I had gone into, into the sports and made a name for myself, and I probably had the attributes to do that, uh, if not the drive, I could have walked into show business. And there are so many, many sports stars that are spokesmen sure. in, in show business. I did a, a, a commercial for Craftsman when they were with Sears. Sears now is in great trouble and yes. they've lost Sears and the world has changed. But I did this commercial, full commercial, make up the whole thing, got paid for the commercial. I'm waiting for it to get on television. I finally see the commercial and I'm not in it. Merle Olson, the football what? is in it. It turns out they did that just as a test to show Mer Merlin Olson what to do and how to do it. You gotta be kidding. So I didn't get a dime for the, for the run of the commercial. But uh -huh. I've been one more story. BJ and the Bear. Yes. I don't know if you remember BJ and the Bear. Claude Akins, I met him. I, yes, I met him. Anyway, I did six of those shows and my part was Frenchie. But the point is, the part was originally written for Andre the Giant, who was a big wrestler. Okay. Oh, wow. Now, they, they wrote the sequence with him, and he, supposed he destroys the set at the end of the six shows. And they bring him in, and they say, Andre, we've got this great part for you, and we want you to be in it. And he says, how much does it pay? And they tell him, he says, are you kidding me? I've got more money in my pocket. And he walks out. So now they have the six shows with Andre, and they don't know what to do with it. So guess what? They hired Lee Paul. At 6'6 six, six and 250 pounds, I wasn't as big as Andre the Giant, but I was big enough. Yes, yes. So that, there's that story, and I'll let you talk, because I love it. what my favorite shows are. My favorite Look. shows are the ones that, that ran, and thank God I'm in a, a lot of those box sets. There's about 20 box sets of shows that I'm still on. And here's the tragedy of that. If people out there think, oh, this is fun, this guy had a great life, I'm going to go into show business. Let me just tell you, it ain't easy, but today, uh, all those shows that lots of people, including yourself, thank you, said they loved and liked, uh, and the people that they were in them, they respected and liked, earn you nothing. I'm in these 20 box sets and don't get one penny for all the shows that they show in those box sets that I'm in. The 20 so odd, not a penny. Only the specific lead actors no, get royalties? No, no, no one. one gets a penny. The only people that get that are the people that put it together and the, the manufacturers, because uh, a lot of that is in public domain. 
You know, that's, it's really interesting that you say that, though, because there is a huge assumption in the public eye that, oh, wow, these shows are still running. These actors are making millions and millions of dollars from royalties and so on and so yeah. forth. And then yeah. something will come up, right? There will be some news article that this celebrity had X, Y, and Z happen, and they'll say, oh, they're, there's this assumption. Their money ran out because of this poor choice that they made or this something. And it really had nothing to do with that. You got paid for a job, and there's not royalties that you're getting from it, and you've got to work. It's, it's hard work being an actor or being in the film industry and being in the entertainment industry. I'm I'm one of two and a half percent of all the actors, the 300, 400,000 actors, including all the stars, that actually qualified for pension and health. I have a small pension, but I have my health insurance. And combined with Medicare, they paid my medical bills, which is very, very, very big and very important. I just recently got a, a what we call foreign residual because they never end. By the way, let me clarify this. If you're an, a series regular and you do a show that's put into syndication, okay, you, you make millions. We're talking about the vast coterie of supporting people that okay. are in, in these shows that are sold at, at uh, Kmart or at uh, Costco, whatever. Those, you don't make any money. But I mm -hmm. just got a residual for six months of, of shows, about six or seven shows for seven countries in Europe, and my residual was 15 cents. What? 15 cents gross, seven cents net. Okay, and then you, you're expected to pay taxes on that too, and that's well, not yes. even, yes, yeah, yeah. Seven. Now, yeah, you've got to report point. that because it's income. No, I totally get this. And it costs more to mail it out and to print the oh. paper. The, oh, yeah, the printing cost in the check. Mm -hmm. I, have, I have a couple of checks that were two cents gross, one cent net that I never cash. Let them uh, screw up their bookkeeping. It yes. costs $30 to print the check. Now, just <laughs> this is, this is insane. The Screen Actors Guild just said in Los Angeles they're going to combine all these infinitesimal residuals and, and deposit them in the actor's checking account with no checks. Finally, they're going to get smart. But yeah, that's, that's, not going to make, that's not going to make us any more money. It's going to save the studios and everybody else money. That it's just, you know, it's appalling and you see other entities doing this too. And we, you know, when I get a check for a dollar, I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. I mean, um, it's just, it's unbelievable. But to hear this for 15 cents, that's your gross. Seven cents is your net. This is just, I mean, or two cents. I mean, come on, you've got to be kidding me. No, let, let me just say this. Maybe this is taking it away from me for just a second. Because I am just a, an entity that's a reflection of the industry. I am a character actor, a supporting actor. And without supporting actors, we wouldn't have the shows that we have. Everybody, everybody can't be a star. Well, that's why I'm saying you're a staple. You're an ingredient in the home. I mean, I know your face. 
you're there. You're in my brain. Well, I'm glad for that. But I will, I will say that uh, I've already, see, now I've done something that happens to me when you, my, my wife has said that when I die, she's going to put on my tombstone, have you forgotten any items? Because I never remember everything. So I don't oh. remember why I started this story. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to go back to something late. I'm going to go back to something I asked you earlier in that I just wondered about the, how interesting it was that the, the things that happened on the story with your filming in Florida and the sting and how those intertwined with the past experiences of your father and your life, how interesting it was that they sort of intermeshed and um and they really brought something to your life and i mean i just thought it was really phenomenal and i just wondered you know if he had still been alive or if it was after he had passed and how how much that really i, I just thought that, that it was just so um so connected to have that happen um yeah not being that close uh I will share something to you on how the sympathy and empathy of the industry has changed so dramatically in the last 40 years or so. My real brother had brain damage. He, he was born cross-eyed. Today they do it in, 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 in the office. Ten minutes is nothing. In Brooklyn, you go to a clinic. He went into a coma. He came out five years later. An oh. idiot aunt and... Uh, and the child might have been child. It it brings to mind uh, the uh, the Hoffman film uh, that he. Uh, well, I forget it right now. Anyway, the point is that. Oh yes, I, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. I, I used his persona and his life experiences in my work. That's what actors do. They observe and they try to remember, and they incorporate that into the characters. And I did a role with Jodie Foster when she was 12 years old on Ironside called Bubble, Bubble, Toil and Murder. And I played his big, clumsy, oaf, man-child friend of Jodie Foster. Now, I was, I got the role because I, I became my brother to do that role. And that's why I was success, so successful. Oh, and wow. People, in fact, people wrote NBC and said they're so happy to see that they use mentally retarded people in the business. You're kidding me. No, that's how good it was. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, the story is NBC got the, the background that my mother's other son mm -hmm. had this brain damage and they wrote her a letter saying your, your, your son, Lee Paul, is going to be on a show that reflects mental problems. And we want you to be prepared so you don't get upset. Okay. Now, that's how sensitive they were at that time. That's you, very interesting. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine them doing that today? Please. It wouldn't oh, happen yeah. in a million years, million years. Now, here's, here's the last story on this story 
I'm going to be on this show with Jody Foster. And the next day, I'm going to be at Universal interviewing for a, a regular, a reoccurring role in a new series starring George Papard called The Hospital. I don't think it ever went. Okay. But the point is, my manager, agent, called the producers and said, by the way, if you want to see what kind of an actor you have on your uh, roster for this role, watch him tonight on Ironside. It's a phenomenal performance. Now, he comes to work at 10 o'clock the next day, and my appointment is at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And on his recording machine is a message from Universal Studios. And you know what it said? Oh, my. It said, we're canceling Lee Paul's interview. He's kind of stupid, isn't he? What? Oh, because of how well you had delivered that performance. Can you believe it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so look, but you know... But you know, Lee, there are a number of actors in the industry who have delivered performances so well with that stigma that they have done, carried with them for, for so many years. It would take a major role. It's so dramatically different. And sometimes even that would not alter the reputation that they had in something. So, yes. You know, in fact, in America, and now I, I'm talking because not only do I love to tell stories, especially about myself. But I love point, it. I love it. But the point is that there are some maxims that the, the great, I call them the, the great unwashed, and I don't mean to be the middle, I mean demean the middle. I class. know what you mean. Yeah. The there are people out there saying, oh, this guy was an actor. I'm going to be an actor. Well, let me share this with you. It's very, very, very tough. And you better, you better have something to fall back on. I wrote an article. I'm a published writer as well. Oh, we know about the book. But I wrote an article called The Circle of Concentric, no, no, The Cycle of Concentric Circles. And what okay. that was was about the runaround in the industry, how you get started and how you don't get started, and how you okay. get it and how you get a thing. But it's the one of the lines in the end of this little article said, and by the way, be sure to take that that male course in plumbing because you can't beat the double time on weekends and holidays. Yes. And what I tried to tell the people is don't think that you can just come here because there's 5 million people a year come to Hollywood and yes. four, only 4 million leave, which means yes. another yes. million to make it. But the point yes. is you have to have a background. You have to have a craft. And that's, uh, that's why I, I always try to discourage. If you can discourage anybody from going into this industry, they don't belong in it. Because the ones who are going to get any chance are the ones that can say, no matter what you say, no matter how, do it. they're still going to do it. They're still that's gonna it. They've got to have the drive, the passion, and the forbearance and perseverance to continue to pursue it because this is something that I mean you just you really have to to keep going that it is like you said it is it is something to really strive for and I would like to say too Lee that that is is a really good philosophy philosophy to have in 
anything that you would like to do. Because in the world, we have so many people in the world and so many positions that are available. But not only that, if you want something, you really need to go for it. And you really need to not give up and not give up easy. And when there's hurdles, that's what they are. They're hurdles. That doesn't mean that they're, they're insurmountable. They're just hurdles and you can get over them. I really am excited about all of the things that you've done. And I want to know about the things that you've got going on now. Well, that, one of the reasons I'm talking to you and one of the reasons I'm sharing my, my universal philosophy about acting and, 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 as you say, having the drive to try to get to do what you want um, is the fact that I'm trying to come back. All the shows that you talk about and all the shows that people can see on Google and the IMDb Internet Movie Database that I've done are all in the past. And so today, this, I've been out of the industry for 30 years. In fact, I can't believe it. I know, because you keep seeing the pictures and you forget. But my new agent said, well, tell me about yourself. Because they, they brought me in to sign me. And I said, well, the first 30 years I acted, and the last 30 years, I learned about life and living. Oh. And that's what makes a good performer. So when you ask me, what do you have in mind? I have in mind trying to get a new opportunity to share the life experiences that I've gone through, coupled with the craft that I have had and developed through the years, and the old gift of gab, and make, and, and, and make another impact if I can. You know, uh, Charles Lawton said, a great actor, Charles Lawton said, it's my job as a performer, as an actor, to reveal on screen the empathy and the sensitivity and the caring, the personal involvement with life that a lot of people outside are afraid to do. Oh, they, yes. They don't want to open up. They're afraid to let their emotions bear. In fact, Rod Steiger said, when I go on an interview, it's like me going into a room absolutely naked and saying, this is who I am. You either buy it or you don't. But Charles, I love it. But Charles Lawton said, it's my job through my craft to allow people to live vicariously through these things. And my book, again, I should bring it up, Bitch, Pitch, and Get Rich says, yes, have the drive to do what you want, but improve yourself. Make That's your, it. Make yourself the best that you can. Nobody is born a star unless you're so incredibly attractive that you don't even have to say a word and the camera and the audience loves you. Most of us have to learn about ourselves, about what motivates us, what we care about, our passions, our loves. And we have to bring that to our roles, but also to whatever we do, whatever we do. I, early on, before Hugh Hauser got started, right? He's a big, he's a big person out here on the West Coast. He's dead now, but he did, he did all these videographs for KCT. Mm -hmm. I, I had a big, big camera, a uh, heavy camera, and an old half-inch JVC tape recorder, and I would go around and talk to people about what they do. And I, I remember I had a business card made uh, 
And I went through the process of seeing how it was made and the dies cut and everything. And I talked to this guy and it was the first time in his life that anybody had asked him what he does and how he does it. And oh, interesting. He went on and on. He got so excited about what he did. And that's what we need to do. We have to be excited about what we do. Yes. For somebody to come and ask us, we have to have the passion and the excitement. Then we have to have the skin, the tougher skin to be able to survive. I agree 100%. I want to thank you so much for being on the show with me today, Lee. I'm really excited about some of the future things that you have going. I definitely would like our audience to get a, a copy of your book because I think, especially with the direction of what I share with the audience and helping them to achieve their goals, helping them move forward in the direction that they would like to go and also sharing that with their friends, family, coworkers, and everybody that they know because I like to see people health, healthier and happier and moving forward and you're doing the same thing and I really, I am really excited and I'm, I again, I'm so honored that you are a guest here and I get to actually talk with you today because you have just been such an icon in my, my world and um, I thank you so much. And I thank you. Just have them buy the book. Yes. I don't care what level of experience, what level of success in their life. There's a kernel in there that will improve your, your, yourself as a human being and your community of spirit and you're willing to take, take risks. So it, I really believe in it. It, uh, it was important when I wrote it as a cathartic uh, exercise in me. I, I was down and I needed to bring myself back. And we all need to do that. We all, we all get down and we all get depressed. But we have to find inner spirit and inner caring and inner love to bring us back. It's true. And where can the audience get in contact with you and get a copy of your book? Well, they can go to Amazon. Uh, and just Google, just go to Amazon Books and, and look up Bitch, Pitch, and Get Rich by Lee Paul. Uh, the, rest, the rest of the public can find what I did in the past, and maybe this little moment, a slice of life, will show them what we're trying to do, because we're always trying to improve, we're always trying to stay alive and, and involved. Yes. You don't get old unless you give up on life. That is so true. What words of wisdom is that? And I want to thank all of you for tuning in today. You can find more about Lee Paul on IMBD. He's all over the internet. I mean, he's everywhere. You can find him on social media as well as on our site. And you can get a copy of his book on Amazon as well. But you'll be able to find out more information. Please share this with your friends, your family, your coworkers, and everybody you know. I appreciate you tuning in every week. Thank you so much.